Welcome to SaaS Theory Podcast, a place for deep dive conversations, SaaS trends, and strategic talks with SaaS founders and decision makers. Today, we're joined by Munir Nejai, who's based in France. Munir is the co-founder and CEO at Cesium, a company that transitioned from B2B consulting services to B2B SaaS. Munir is a MarTech expert, and I finally had the opportunity to discuss topics such as SaaS ecosystems, online privacy, MarTech trends, and more. Listen to our conversation to discover interesting facts about the Salesforce community and the shifts that are changing the MarTech world. Hi, Munir. Thank you very much for being here. Hi, Victoria. How are you doing? Good, good. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to speak to a MarTech expert because there are some topics that I'm very interested in. So I'll take advantage of this session. But I'd, hey, like, welcome. I'd like to start this conversation by letting you present yourself and tell us more about what you're doing. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Cesium. Uh, and Cesium, it's a French company that is now a software vendor. What we, uh, what we propose, it's a software as a service. It's, as a, it's add-ons on a Salesforce Marketing Cloud. We aim to help uh, SMB uh, CMOs to use uh, the, the platform to its, its full capabilities uh, without having to uh, train this, themselves uh, or call a marketing services agency. Got it. And now I have a rather weird question, a personal curiosity, because I saw your LinkedIn. And OK, you, you don't have lots of posts, so it was easy to see the whole timeline. And I noticed that uh you went from low to actually very high uh, engagement rates on LinkedIn, yeah. like in less than two three months i think mm -hmm. so like you're just posting something and boom after that you have like almost 100 reactions and people commenting so just like a personal curiosity how did you do that what's your secret well it's not really a secret but uh, let let's put it this way uh first what you can see, it's, uh, it's high engagement, uh, but it's just um, vanity metrics. Uh, it doesn't mean uh, that I have a lot of impact and uh, traffic to my website, etc. So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing, I think you're interested in um, Lemlist. You heard of Lemlist? Yeah. Yes, yes. Well, actually, uh, the CEO of Lemlist, when he started Lemlist, he started another company that he sold. And that company, uh, it was a service that he created and he used at the beginning of Lempire to, uh, to help him grow uh, a, community, a community and help him uh, have uh, visibility on LinkedIn, for instance. And that company that he sold and continues to exist, it's called Lempod. And Lempod, there are a lot of pods today. So basically what it is, is that when you join a pod, uh, you have uh, people like you on the same interests that will automatically like your post and you will like them. So uh, it just helps you to be more, um, more visible. But I, I told you it was vanity metrics because... Um, I what what I saw from that it, it was a good thing to launch uh, to to make that boost at first, 
I use it less now, unless I have a, a link I want to highlight. Um, and uh, the point is, I have a lot of engagement in the first hour, uh, which means LinkedIn uh, will uh, propose my content to uh, mainly, mainly my followers. Uh, and uh, it doesn't really extend your network, but your network will be more aware of your post. And uh, I have, um, if, I, if I take aside uh, that pod engagement, I have, uh, I, I don't have um, uh, 10 times uh, the engagement I had, but I have at least three times the engagement I had with my, uh, my followers. And I also grew my, uh, my followers community. I, I think it takes, um, well, maybe 10 to 20% per month. And, uh, and it depends. Uh, if, if I post uh, bad content, uh, you can boost it with, with a pod, it won't work. I mean, I have I have some posts that I, that I boosted and that did less views and clicks and comments that others that were not. So it can be something that you could use uh, at the beginning, and uh, and it's because Cesium is a is a brand that is uh, uh, that we are rebuilding because we we shifted activities. And uh, so we needed to, uh, to, to have some kind of communications and that the people we work with uh, know that we changed our activities, that we're no more integrators and we became software editors. So that was a point. Okay, because I know that pods have a bad reputation. I say lots of people <laughs> writing against pods. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and I, think, uh, I think that they, um, that they, are, they are mainly right but uh, you can see it from another point of view. I mean, uh, we are a small company and uh, due to the shift, uh, we lost like 40% of our resources. We are hiring new because uh, uh, we're hiring developers and we are losing consulting, consultants. So, so it's pretty normal because we, we shifted. But when you lose people, you lose engagement and you lose followers at the company level. And if you're small, you're like less than 10 or around, it can help boost. Uh, I think when, when Lempire started, they were three and they used uh, the pods. And now they don't need to because yeah. there are a lot of them and they have their community, etc. But in the beginning, you can use... I think the... the the main thing to see is uh, what it brings you and uh, and when to stop because you don't need that a, a long time and okay you have a hundred likes and comments etc but if there is only 10 that matters uh, you should focus on that 10 it's not the the, the point I, I don't have so sometimes I use them sometimes I don't and sometimes I get more engagement without them and it depends on the time and uh, sometimes i use them because i uh, i address um, a market that is out of my i'd say preferred location and when i post something uh, for the, the the us and canadian market because 
the point when when you propose your uh, your products via an ecosystem like Salesforce, you have no frontiers anymore. So and the the, the biggest market stays North America. So sometimes when I post some things uh, to be seen in North America. Uh, I choose the hour and then I use pod because I don't have enough network there to ensure that, to be sure that they will see them. Mm-hmm. For example, I, I, I used that uh, recently and usually I have like 80% of the viewer of my post that are in, um, in France and like 5% that are in, in, uh, in North America. And one of my last posts, I had like 60% in North America that view my post and 40% in Europe. So it depends. It's a tool. It's not expensive. It can hurt your reputation if you don't monitor what's happening there. You could automatically comment something that you don't agree with. So you have to to to, to monitor what's happening. But... Uh, it can it can help the the point is to 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 stay uh, relevant in the content and not to rely on this uh, too long and i think that uh, linkedin will uh, some kind of kill them uh, and the other point is i don't know if it was always like that because i'm not um, uh, an expert in pods but as i said uh, mainly what, what I saw is more engagement within my actual followers, not with persons I don't know. Mm-hmm. So it's just a boost and more of your followers see the post. Yeah, because and, and sometimes they, they, they have less fear to comment because somebody else took the first step. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because what it matters is the first hour. If your yeah. post gets, gets engagement in the first hour, this means that more people will see it. But Ah, and by the way, I read that the CEO at uh, Lemlist, I think he, he wrote that he regrets selling Lempod. And now he's starting new companies apart from Lemlist because he wants to grow his micro empire. But yeah, uh, yeah. it's uh, now it's very it's very interesting to follow him. And now he's very active on Twitter too. So yeah, it's quite a curious character. Um, and but but I I, I wanted to, to ask you. Have you seen any impact since you are on LinkedIn before using pods, after using pods? Do you see any real tangible impact on your sales, on your business, on your revenue? Well, uh, I always believed that um, the, the, the revenue is uh, is mainly due to your product. The, the, so do I, do I see more impact? No. Uh, on revenue, no, but it's it's just a channel. Uh, I, I see impact on um, the open rates and the click rates of my cold email campaigns. Okay, okay. What I think is that uh, before I used this, uh, be, be, before I tried to leverage LinkedIn, my cold emails, people were just, okay, who's that guy? And now when they receive them, because it's a small ecosystem, Salesforce, marketing, etc. Now when they receive the email, they, they, they at least heard something about me or saw a post or something. And they opened, the, I, I saw the open rates and the clicks uh, rise. 
and maybe I have more um, more meetings. But honestly, that's a good question. I will ask at my next meetings if uh, if it's because they saw something on LinkedIn uh, that they uh, that they replied. But for the moment, what, what I saw is not uh, a boost in a. Uh, and our products are are not on the market for for long. It's been a couple of months, so I don't know if really the the pod impacts. But uh, but what what I can see just the cold emails for now. Yeah, got it. I ask you this question because okay, I'm uh, following very closely indie hackers and uh, mm -hmm. what they're creating. And for example, in Twitter, it's very easy to have your link to your website on the bio and people yeah. don't even have to check your profile to be able to go to your uh, product and if the it's easy to buy product like you don't have to contact sales or it's something clear and easy some um, founders are saying that they get like, twitter helps them to increase the sales that's mm -hmm. why but with linkedin indeed it's different because it's quite difficult to go to the person's profile to see what they're doing, what's their company, what's their product. It's more to be known in the industry, to be a known well, face. Yeah. It, it depends. It depends on the on your market, I think, because um, you see on Salesforce, uh, there's a big, um, um, well, let's, let's say it like this. Um, you have, um, you have a lot of communities, uh, what Salesforce calls the, the trailblazer communities, which are on a specific website hosted by Salesforce. Uh, and they can create groups, etc. You have groups on Slack, which has been bought by, by Salesforce, about marketing communities uh, worldwide too, and using those products. And then uh, we're all professionals, so um all the partners and all the users of the solutions will find themselves on those communities and what will stay i'll say um on the side of the road are all the freelancers because they, they don't have a, a partner license or or a, a, a user license because they, they use it for their clients and so they don't have access to some communities so they um uh, so they just communicate on LinkedIn, and uh, at the end, LinkedIn is the is the public uh, it's the public network where where all of those people uh, cross roads. But if you if you're specific on a, you, let's say I want to address the the trailblazer community of uh, uh, Kuala Lumpur. Uh, I will go on a Salesforce community and I will look for uh, who who's the manager of that community and then I will look on LinkedIn who, where to, to find maybe his, uh, uh, his address, his email address. I can use some tools like drop contact, etc. And then I call the email him. It's, but, but Twitter... Uh, is not really used within uh, within the people we work with. Yeah, so it's, it's mainly LinkedIn. And the other thing that happens on, on LinkedIn, and it's really interesting, it, Salesforce developed a lot of uh, certifications, accreditations, uh, badges, and people love to share them on LinkedIn to, 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 
to show their expertise. Yeah, and since we touched the subject, I, I'm very curious uh, because I've analyzed Salesforce and, and all the ecosystem they've built, and it's impressive the certification, the budgets, the classes, the community. And the most impressive is that there are some companies that are hiring people also based on the certifications. That this is a company that uh, managed to uh, increase their um, authority. And people are actually put value into this certification, and it's a value certification of skills and knowledge. So I'm very curious to know what's your history of Salesforce, how you started, how you got integrated in the com community, all, yeah, the entire history behind your relationship with Salesforce. Yeah, so um, I, I always worked on, um, on, uh, on marketing automation tools. So at the beginning, I was working on on-prem solutions, and by uh, I'd say 20, 2015, 2016, I saw that move to the cloud, and the company I was working with, we were that was bought by publicists since then. Um, we were working with a lot of um, of uh, software vendors. And I, and I said, well, uh, there's that thing that Salesforce, they just bought exact target one year ago and seems like they're uh, um, pushy uh, on, on, the, on the sales uh, aspect uh, and they're penetrating the market. We, we, should, we should see what they're doing. And um, well, my, my, uh, my employer at that time was not keen on trying the trying the, the, that software and I left them and joined um, one of the, the, the leaders uh, in uh, Salesforce integration in France. So a pure player, uh, a company, uh, when I joined them, there were 200, 250. And when I left, uh, they were 400, and they uh, they were bought by by Conism. But in France, it was the the largest pure player on Salesforce, and uh, they had a problem because they they didn't know a thing about uh, marketing technologies, and Salesforce bought Exact Target, and so they had leads that wanted Salesforce Marketing Cloud, so the, the new name, and they didn't have a clue to. Uh, even how do you sell a marketing uh, automation project? Uh, the design phase is not the same, the build phase is not the same, and the stakes are not the same, the business holders neither, and they didn't have any clue on how to do this. And so when I joined that company, I launched the, the, the team around Marketing Cloud, so I did all the, the, the hiring and all the sales and the relationship with Salesforce on this specific cloud. And uh, we went from zero to, uh, uh, it was 2.5 million euros revenue uh, on that activity on in two years, uh, 30 people. And, um, and for Salesforce, uh, what, the, the joint sales that uh, I made with them, we were around $6 million of licensing uh, for just the last year. So they were pretty happy with me and we had a, a real good relation because I, I brought um, 
Well, in fact, what, what, what happens with Salesforce is it's, it's a closed ecosystem. So when they buy a new functional, so a, 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 new, a new solution that is not in the function, functional scope they address, they try to bend it at first uh, to adapt it to the way they were thinking. And uh, here I came with my ideas on how marketing automation tools were, uh, were to be used and to be implemented, etc. And, uh, and so we, we closed a lot of deals and I added some expertise to the way they sell, to the way we sold as integrators. And from that on, they built uh, something that is very important with the Salesforce is to build trust. So we built trust, me and them, because it's always a story of people <laughs> before companies. And, um, and I discovered that ecosystem. And what hit me at that moment is I, I, I used to work with IBM and Oracle and Adobe. And, and there's something I didn't, I never saw. Because Salesforce, they sell the li their, licensing, their licenses. Uh, it's software as a service. They sell the service. And they sell the success. And th they were... There, there was this uh, notion of customer success that was very important. It was the first time that I had the, the, the software vendor monitoring my project, which I didn't like, to be honest. But they, they were monitoring my projects to be sure that the, the customers has the full benefit of the solution. And it's something the other software vendors never did. Once they sold, they disappear until the renewal. And so the, 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 there was this, uh, this customer success uh, mindset uh, that impressed me. And, as a, and the other thing is the community, it, it hit me because then I, I, I represented the company at a few events, but when you go to before COVID, when you go to the Salesforce World Tour in Paris, there is 10,000 visitors uh, at a software event in the middle of the week. And it's something I never saw. I, I mean, uh, six months before I went to an event of Oracle, it was in a small hotel and there was like 50 people. And there was 10,000 people. and. And they had relations with uh, the ecosystem, the partners, with uh, with Salesforce sales, uh, and uh, between them, and a lot of them, a lot of those people, including clients, they moved from a company to another uh, based on this uh, community. Some people, uh, uh, I went to the Dreamforce in 2017, and there was like, uh, um, I don't know, one, like 170,000 people in San Francisco. Um, it's, it's something really huge in uh, 2017. Yeah. And imagine that only now SaaS companies start talking about how important it is to build a community and only now yeah. it starts the wave of communities. And when you think that companies like Salesforce and Atlassian had huge communities back then, 
Yeah, Atlassian is a great example, uh, by the way. And, and and so when I went there, what I saw that some of the clients, they uh, when we took the plane to go to San Francisco, they were working for a company. And where we took the plane to get back to Paris, they have changed the company. It was something like, it's, it's very weird, but... and. And I, I I remember having some conversations sometimes with uh, with somebody at Salesforce calling me to tell me I have this very good client uh, the CMO he's uh, very talented within this company etc he's leaving for personal reasons etc have you heard of some job opening that would fit that people and they they're just like that or at least I don't know if Sometimes company, when they grow, they change. But um, I noticed this time of behavior, and it's something uh, you don't forget. There's business and there's bonds. And Salesforce, what they are very good at, it's building bonds between people. That's impressive, how they managed to create this community. Yeah, and but it's processed too. When you're a partner, when you're a new partner in the ecosystem or a small one, you have uh, a partner account manager and what's his job? His job is to um, help you be known by the sales uh, so that the sales know what you can do, uh, what's your size, what type of projects you can handle, what, what are your expertise, etc. And they try to feed everybody so that the ecosystem grows. Because if the ecosystem grows, they can sell more. Um, just to give you an example, uh, one time uh, I was working on, um, on a project and uh, the, the client was considering uh, a bunch of CRM solutions worldwide. And uh, Salesforce just came uh, and in their, uh, in their um, proposal, they pointed for each of the countries how many certified people there were in the countries, how many companies were Salesforce partners for each country of uh, the, the project scope. If you ask Oracle to do that, they'll have uh, blank zones. They, they, they'll have some, some countries where they have nobody. But w when you do that, it's, it's not... It's something you, you, you tell the client, if you want to change your integrator, you will be able to. If you want support uh, in this particular country, you will find people, etc. It's, it's something that is very, very powerful. And I think they realized before others that they couldn't grow if they didn't grow the community around their, uh, around their products. And do you think that other SaaS companies can replicate this strategy well i i i um, I, I thought that the, the salesforce competitors would do but actually what i noticed is that they just shifted from on-prem solutions to cloud solutions but they didn't really uh, embrace the they didn't really embrace the software as a service with the important uh, the importance of customer success they're still selling it like an on-prem product, just it's in the cloud. But there are some uh, some um, 
some SaaS companies, natively SaaS companies that have the, the, the right mindset. But, uh, and, and more and more of them, because uh, that's what guarantees your, uh, that your churn rate stays low, that your, uh, that your customers talk of you. Uh, you have to be in, in, that, in that mindset and you have to grow a community and, and it's I, not part of the job. I think it's more than a community. My, the way I see it is actually companies building economies around their yeah. product, enabling people to sell templates, apps in app mar uh, marketplaces, uh, connecting experts, uh, creating professional networks where they are uh, playing the role of matchmakers between different stakeholders. And they're actually building a monopoly in, the, in a specific industry. Like, or even they're enabling people to sell courses like Webflow, how many Webflow enthusiasts we have that actually are selling courses on, on how to learn Webflow. So I see like a, well, it's only me or there is a trend of companies that start thinking bigger, you know, like in terms of stakeholders, ecosystems. Yeah, well, um, I don't know if you read the, the, the book by, um, by Mark Benny of the, the I CEO. have it in my <laughs> to read list for this year. Yeah, well, actually, uh, why I, I told you that, because uh, Salesforce invented the, the concept of customer success. Uh, and they also created all this trailhead, so the, this um, the, this learning platform free uh, online uh, that they have, and they they also have that matchmaking that you were talking uh, talking about. And uh, as for the app exchange, their marketplace, uh, there is like four to five thousand apps there, and they just crossed. 10, the, the, the 10 million uploads of the apps, uh, they just crossed it two weeks ago. So it's, it's a huge economy. Um, to, there, there are um, uh, companies, ISV partners, as they call them, that were built on the Salesforce platform and that are um, a billion dollars revenue companies like uh, Viva CRM, which is built 100% on Salesforce. Uh, there is Velocity that was bought by Salesforce for uh, 1 billion, $1.3 billion. And it was created, I think, in 2012. And they bought it in 2019, I mean, seven years, 1.4 million. And the technology, it's Salesforce, nothing else. Yeah. So uh, I think they realized pretty soon that it was important. And uh, the other point is that they, they use partner. I mean, when they have to, to, to make a proposal for a, for a client, they take, the, um, they take what the, the requirements, they, they take the, the requirements and they put Salesforce product uh, in front of them. And when they finished uh, mapping with Salesforce product, the, the lacking uh, capabilities, they look on the marketplace, on their marketplace, and they propose partners. I mean, when you're a software partner of Salesforce, uh, Salesforce salesmen, they sell for you, your product. 
within their their proposal. So it's something that is it's a win-win for everybody. And since it's working, everybody copies it. Perhaps there are some new models, but for for the main concepts, I, I guess they they got it pretty pretty soon. Uh, all right. <laughs> yeah, and by the way, I read at the end of the uh, at the end of two thousand twenty one, Atlassian announced that people sold through their marketplace two billion dollars. It's like the highest milestone. It's impressive. Yeah, 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 and and they take a percentage. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Obviously, everybody wins. Yeah. yeah. So now, what what can you describe your transition to Cesium and uh, how it fits in the Salesforce panorama? Um, well, I um, as I told you before, Victoria, we we began as. Um, consulting partners. So we were integrating uh, Salesforce solutions, but we were specialized on the, the marketing uh, part of uh, their solutions. So uh, B2C marketing solutions uh, on Salesforce. And um, just after uh, the first uh, lockdown, uh, we lost a bunch of clients because everything was closed and we got a lot of uh, retailers uh, that took a big hit and uh, and we tried to figure out how we could uh, we could maintain growth and uh, and we started developing uh, software products so basically add-ons on salesforce marketing cloud um, and and that's how we started and then talking with the with Salesforce on this specific part of, uh, of software vendors, uh, well, they told us that they were looking for partners on this part because, uh, as I told you, they want to grow ecosystems and communities to help them solve their products. And uh, I told you they there's like four to five thousand apps on the App Exchange, but only fifty of them are dedicated to marketing solutions. So there, there's like a, a it's nearly a blue ocean on this part because if it's not in Salesforce Marketing Cloud, you won't just find there, there's great chance that you won't find a partner with that capability. So we decided to, to, to begin creating add-ons like this. And when talking with Salesforce, they told that they were looking for, uh, for good partners on, on, the, on the marketing part. And uh, I was quite, me and my co-founders, we were quite um, exhausted by the, the, the consulting uh, uh, job. And uh, uh, we felt like we couldn't scale a lot and uh, the mindset was changing uh, uh, and we didn't fit anymore. And somewhere we, we, we wanted to, to serve the customer at a larger scale and what seemed natural is to to transform a lot of uh, of um, research we did and developments we did in, into into products so we begin to 
to build uh, more complex products that will be available soon. And uh, the point is we want to help a lot of uh, Salesforce marketing cloud customers that don't have the time to use the platform to its full capability uh, without having uh, to ask for marketing agency or, uh, or uh, very expensive consultants. Because that, that's what's cool with the community. Uh, we learn, uh, you can learn for free uh, to use a Salesforce tool, and then you become an expensive freelance. Uh, and sometimes the client is not happy with, with that part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I saw actually on the uh, Salesforce marketplace, or there is a list of consultants with rating and with comments. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and they did a good job with this because uh, at first there was just a list of consultants and uh, ratings. So basically what a lot of companies did, they asked their friends and they had five stars and it was great. And uh, now you have to, um, you, you, you can't have a, a good mark only uh, on a generic level. You have the the satisfaction, the, the customer satisfaction. It's per project, per solution, per um, industry, etc. And so they can know that you are a good consulting partner for the healthcare industry on the marketing cloud. Uh, that's where you're the best. And so when when they have uh, a client in that uh, in, in that specific situation, they will call you. And and that's that was pretty cool for uh, specialized boutiques uh, when when they did that. And now, if we're moving away a little bit from Salesforce and we take into consideration your vast experience as a Martech consult mm. consultant and expert, I, I now that you are on this show, I, I'm very curious to know what are some of the trends you've noticed lately in 2021 and now at the beginning of 2022 happening in the marketing technology area. Well, uh, there's a lot of things to say. Uh, the, the, you can, um, well, when I see trends now, I see trends at different levels. If, if you take uh, enterprise accounts, uh, the actual trends are, uh, the, the current trends are uh, artificial intelligence, uh, real-time personalization or hyper-personalization and customer data platforms. And that's what enterprise account talk about. Um, what is uh, some kind of generic, whether it's an enterprise account or a small business, it's that uh, um, consent management that is beginning to be a bit touchy, it, uh, and, and, and nobody really knows how to deal with it. And, uh, and the second, um, and, and I think the migration to iOS 15 uh, was some kind of a shock. A lot of people, they just didn't want to know it was going to happen. I mean, Apple announced the, the, uh, a change in the privacy rules on, on its main email application, and everybody did just like, they didn't say anything and didn't want to know and then just the, the, the up and rates drop and 
what is happening here? So uh, there are a bit this change to iOS 15. I mean, what it implied for these uh, people? Well, it, to, talking about that change, what happened is just that when when you did the migration to iOS 15, uh, you have uh, an, an iMac or a Mac or an iPhone. Um, uh, it would just ask you if, uh, when you open your email, if you want to be protected. Uh, the, the question, it's quite obvi obvious you will answer yes. And when you say yes, uh, Apple just blocks um, uh, whatever answer they were, they were sending back if you open the mail or click the mail, etc. So that's a lot of uh, metrics that were used by, uh, by marketing automation platforms and marketers to assess the, effic the efficiency of, of their campaigns. And that disappeared. And for some businesses in some countries, it counted for more than 50 of their subscribers. So it was not just uh, um, something uh, in, that, that was not big enough. So uh that's the first thing but on a more global scale um third party cookies are, are going to disappear and uh, there, there's a lot of concern about privacy now and i think nobody wants to address the real subject about this but i think it will happen but for now uh, people are just uh, trying to deal with the new rules. And every time there's a new rule, it's, okay, uh, how do we still do what we were doing, but uh, be compliant with the, with the new, uh, the new legis legislation or regulation? Do you think Google Analytics will be banned in Europe? <laughs> how the <laughs> things are moving, especially in Germany and Austria? Yeah, and uh, the, um, in France, uh, the CNIL uh, just uh, declared that it was uh, some kind of uh, forbidden to use Google Analytics too. It was two days ago. I don't know. I think I think Google will find a way to to change uh, its tracking to be uh, well. Um, I think the bureaucracy is always late on technologies. So I guess Google will find some way to be compliant with their rules and keep on tracking people. That's, that's, I, I really don't worry about that. The point is, uh, all those rules, uh, at some point, uh, they're generating from the people. It's because some people are saying, I want my privacy, uh, I don't want you to sell my data, that those rules happen to, to, to appear somewhere. And what no brand uh, wants to do by now is just ask for permission. I mean, let, let's say you're a, you're a, um, a fashion company and when I come to, to when I visit your website and log, and uh, you, you know who I am, what if you just asked me if you could sell uh, or rent my data for the next month uh, to other type of retailers, if it interests me? And if so, 
I I have um, some kind of cashback. I could agree. I won't be really bothered. And I could subscribe to things that uh, I'm interested in. I have much more value that, uh, pardon the word, but the crap that people are buying now, the false profiles. <laughs> you see what I mean? So uh, something I, I, I begin to hear about this, um, uh, like platforms to allow to, to allow customers to choose what they subscribe to and to sell their own data. And it's something I believe will, will finally happen. I mean, there's no data that, that is more valuable than your own interests. If I say, well, for the next month, I want to have, uh, um, I, I want to have announcements just around uh, sportswear. But that means I, I'm gonna buy. I, I I'm just looking for deals. So propose me deals, and and everybody's happy. It's a win-win. But now it's not. It's not like this. It's uh, you buy something, and because I know you're a man between thirty and forty, and you bought something for a baby, so you have at least a family, something. So maybe you would like some beer when you go to the supermarket. Great. <laughs> Well, I, I see this happening actually i also read about that that may i mean at least for people to be given the option for them to rent their yeah data, to to be able to make a revenue from it yeah exactly and and it's well. not only about tech i mean it's not only about um uh, SaaS companies or uh, e-commerce platform we're talking here about smart tv we're talking here about uh, the automotive industry that is becoming a big data industry, actually, with, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. And there should be there should be a solution to make sure that actually the business won't crash, but also to ensure the privacy of people. And here is actually a question I want to ask you. A friend of mine, he's a SaaS CEO. He was saying that I'm tired of this bureaucracy. Can we use Google Analytics? Can't we can't do that. So. What's your opinion of this increasing digital bureaucracy? And we're actually uh, taking the, bureaucr uh, the bureaucracy practices from the real world and we'll, we are applying them to the digital world. Do you see that um, coming or there might be any solutions to avoid this from happening, so to keep this from happening? Well, um, I, I think what what's happening, it's... Uh, um, I get the point of your friend, um, and I don't really like bureaucracy as it as it is right now because um, I'm not sure uh, the the people that 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 just uh, make the rules understand really what's happening. But what would be nice, it's. Uh, it's maybe that uh, tech companies had had um, some kind of independent organization to put rules because we need rules. If if you don't have rules in the beginning, what's happening is like the, the it's the far west and uh, everybody's just uh, doing whatever they want. Yeah, and, and some get rich and some get um, get just uh, conned and like what's happening now on on the nft market oh yeah and 
if 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 tech people with real skills put rules at at first, you could build uh, profitable businesses and real business value for customers and for everybody from the beginning. Now, what happens is that the the ecosystem grows, the technologies appear, and it takes ten years for people to say. Okay, what are we gonna do about this? There's a lot of billions of dollars there, and where, how many taxes can we get? It, it just seems like this, and but there are real things to consider. Let's see, for instance, when you talk about um, the digital legacy. I mean, you have uh, social accounts, you have blog, and well, not you, somebody. Say like this, and the person dies. Uh, what happens to all that content? And that content can have value, can uh, bring value, can bring clicks on that blog. How do you manage to get it back for uh, her kids, uh, her husband, etc.? Or just the, the photos? I mean, uh, you could want to 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 get back the pictures of somebody you you had a relation with. So th- those things uh, we need rules for them. We need to put in processes to to retrieve that. And nobody thinks about it because it's a, it's like a, an ongoing word. Everybody's running and nobody's stopping to see what's happening. And and so the point is, bureaucracy now is just looking for money and doesn't understand what's at stake but we would need uh, a bureaucracy uh, at the end just different but i get the point of of your friend yeah it's frustrating when you when you build technologies and then you say well okay uh, we built on this stack and now we can't so uh, how do we deal with it? yeah i imagine europe provides keeping Having servers, Amazon servers, like you. Yeah, but uh, well, ac- actually, we had a lot of problems with the uh, because when you work with Salesforce, they got some products that are on Amazon. They had some on Oracle, and then um, sometimes they work with Google, and sometimes they're not friends with Google anymore. And sometimes you're in a country that wants you to store data in that country, like China, for, for example. And there's always a lot, a lot, a lot of um, legislation to take uh, to, to take into account. And there are also interesting uh, founders who are uh, coming with solutions to these problems, like uh, Fathom Analytics, Simple Analytics, that are doing what, I mean, you don't have to use Google Analytics if you can use Fathom Analytics that protects the privacy of your website visitors. They have servers in Canada and in Germany, I think. And they are actually building an infrastructure to accommodate these new rules. So after all, tech will save us, even if there is a high <laughs> level of bureaucracy. Yeah, but I, I get it. But sometimes we don't. We, we don't see all the, the, the problem. I, I guess what happens if, uh, if they're sold to Google? I mean, it's still yeah, the, the same technology. And 
<laughs> and and we'll, we'll just pack it and say, no, it's it's Google now, so it's, it's even. Uh, I'm, I'm just uh, kidding, but see the point. Oh, uh, now if we go back to MarTech, uh, I was surprised to to see there is a, um, how it's called, uh, the MarTech panorama, I think, with all, ah, the MarTech landscape with yeah. all the uh, logos of all the companies that are creating marketing technology. And you see the revolution year through year and you end at 2021 and you see a red ocean of logos that you can't even distinguish because there are so many and the comp competition is so high. Where do you see this going? And do you see, I mean, at this point, according to Statista, there are more than 9,500 MarTech solutions on the market yeah. globally. Yeah. <laughs> so, sometimes I have clients that tell me, uh, oh, we saw that editor, uh, that software vendor, you, you sure know him. Well, I don't. There are more than 9,000. I don't know them. Yeah. <laughs> it just happened this morning, in fact. Um, now the, the the point is, you, I, I told you um, earlier that there was um, enterprise uh, accounts that they ha they have big organization, they have consultants, they have a lot of people working in marketing, a lot of teams. I work with some companies; they have like a hundred people at marketing, so I don't think they could use twenty to thirty solutions. It's no problem with that, and and it can make sense because big business, a lot of revenue, and, and, and there, there are use cases to be addressed. But uh, if, if you watch uh, smaller companies, they have a big problem. They, they, they look at this landscape and you have the little CMO and he's watching this landscape and, well, um, he wants to achieve something. And, it's, uh, and the, the first problem of a marketer is to to prove to the company that he's just not uh, a center of cost, that he can bring value and that he can bring leads to, to sales and that he can help with the with, with, the, with sales part. And so uh, you have the CMO, in West, he's watching this landscape and what can I do? And uh, what happens, uh, and that's why a, a lot of, uh, small companies sometimes uh, choose Salesforce is because it comes it comes with an ecosystem. It comes with a lot of um, of capabilities. So they have the the feeling that they buy a solution that will address uh, a large part of the landscape. And then uh, they realize that to address the large part of the landscape, there is not just the tech tools but it takes also time and work and thinking and designing, etc. And so there are two trends for me. Uh, there is the, 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 the enterprise account that are building very complex stacks. It can be a good idea or not, I'm not judging. But the small businesses, they're looking for something that does the job today. And the, uh, and the part of, uh, of, of what made us shift is that we, we are building solutions to help uh, small businesses to just 
use uh, tools, but not as tools. We want to bring business value. So uh, you have uh, on-demand journeys, uh, pre-segmented populations, etc., uh, and uh, pre-built campaigns uh, for, for uh, according to 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 customer life cycles and uh, per uh, per um, per industry. And why we're building this? Because that CMO that is lost. At the end, he's not looking to build a stack. He's looking to improve his customer's experience and to improve um, the, the, the retention and to improve uh, cross-selling and acquisition. He's not looking to build a stack of 20, 20, uh, 20 vendors, nor to maintain them nor to, to, to have different SaaS uh, subscriptions not beginning at the same time with you, you, you can you can see and so I see a trend of simplification at, at, the, at, the, at, the, at the bottom and uh, more and more complexity uh, on large scale. So you say that more and more companies will go for all-in-one solutions. Yeah. You have a faster uh, a faster return of on on investment, and uh, the the thing is that it takes a lot of time to deal with uh, different software vendors. It takes a lot of time, a lot of people, and uh, when you have uh, specific solutions, it's very hard to find the right skills. I mean. When your expert just uh, resigns and goes to your competitors, you you could now on the marketing landscape you could now have eighteen months before you find somebody else, and maybe he just learned the solution. It's not like the expert that that went, and sometimes you're just here stuck with that expertise you're looking for, and you forget that. You, you, you just want to propose the right product to your customer at the right moment and you just want to, to be sure he was satisfied with what he bought and etc. And it's not really complex things, but things change. And, and, but how about, I mean, if we look in the next five to ten years, the generation will change, uh, people will become tech savvy like much more than what we have right now and especially now with the no code movement and with more and more martech built on no code and people wanting to move to no code do you think this will have an impact on simplifying on maybe some companies will actually choose to go to build the tech stack with no code well uh well, actually, the, the point is uh, of, uh, of our product is to use Salesforce Marketing Cloud with no code. So that's what we're adding on top of it. But so I think it will happen. But um, it's funny how you say we, we're becoming tech savvy because uh, I, I don't really feel like this. I mean, or I don't understand it the right way. I, I mean, uh, at what point? At one point, I I thought that uh, the more we would uh, advance in time, and the more would people understand um, understand technology. And what happens is that 
the more we advance and the more people use technology and the less they understand how it works. Because now, uh, just, just let me finish. What I want to say is that uh, now uh, you're used to use your smartphone and, and uh, you have your app and, and you just swipe like this and it seems just natural. And if you ask the user, he doesn't even realize that maybe there is a data center somewhere, a server somewhere. He just thinks that if you want to build an, uh, an app, you put a screen and you can swipe it. And the data, the infrastructure, it's something that just disappeared within the, 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 the mind of, uh, of people. So uh, we know very easily how to use new technologies, but just think of it. Now there are UX designers and UI, and we make things that are simple to use, uh, easy to use, that seem natural, that seem sometimes magic. But are we really tech savvy? Mm, I get your point. It's like my kid, uh, in three years, they, they began to, 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 to press the buttons. It's easy. Yeah, but behind that, there is an entire infrastructure and we don't yeah. realize. And, and when you want to build a tech solution today, uh, the point is you have a lot of people that can, that can help you on how to use and what they're waiting uh, for, for their usage, but, more, uh, but less people that will help you with the, 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 back, uh, the back office. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, Munir, this was a, an amazing conversation, but I would like to finish this interview with uh, three quick personal questions, also related okay. to tech, obviously, and what you're doing. But the first question is, uh, I know that you're a big fan of Salesforce, obviously, but apart from Salesforce, which mm -hmm. are the SaaS companies you follow up close right now? Well, um... I, I look at, uh, at at Lampire, he's French like me, and he's, he's trying to build something called Lamverse now, that, so that, that seems interesting. Um, I discovered uh, recently um, Flowdesk, and I like their, uh, their economic, their business model. And I look at Braze, uh, which can be really, uh, uh, a big vendor on the on the Martech, uh, which can take a big place on the, on the Mar in the Martech industry. But for now, I, I feel like they they're they're still too much positioned as a mobile friendly marketing. But if they extend their um, their positioning, I can, I think they can be a a real competitor to to Salesforce today. What's your personal tech stack? Personal, not the companies. Oh, personal. What, what I'm using? My, yeah. my phone? And, uh, yeah. I, use, I don't know, Google Docs or oh, Notion. No, I use... Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty old school. I like to write things. And um, I, I like to read books with pages, not, not digitally. Well, I have... Uh, uh, a MacBook. I have. Uh, we use Office. Uh, we use Google too. Um, 
Uh, I use, what do we use? We use Salesforce, obviously. We use Lemlist. We use Drop Contact, Phantom Buster, Classian. Yeah, but this is not personal. Yeah, <laughs> I noticed that actually, that the founders tend to have more, they tend to go towards digital minimalism because obviously after <laughs> hours of staring yeah. at the screen is uh, harder to continue i like i like people i like paper to be to be honest i like paper i have a smartphone a samsung one but that, that's all i am not really and since you like paper uh what are the latest or not so latest most impactful books you've read it can be fiction non-fiction doesn't matter no, well uh, at the moment i will I read a lot of uh, business books and uh, the, the the last one that that really um, that I really liked is um, it's called obviously awesome. Uh, it's by April Dunford, and it's a, really, it's a great book about about positioning and marketing and really actionable tips. So so I cannot like it. Yeah, it's a great book. Near. Thank you very much for this insightful conversation. Thank you, Victoria. I've learned a lot, mm -hmm. and I'm sure that our listeners will also learn a lot. Thank you, Victoria. Have a nice weekend. Bye. Thank you very much, Munir, and thank you all for listening until the end. Wish you a great morning, day, afternoon, or evening. Till next time.